You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partner, Polyflex Horseshoes. This morning, I'm speaking to Colin Seymour, who has come a long way to do this interview. Although he used to work here in Newmarket on a number of occasions, he's just flown in from Dubai. And so it's a little bit like the mountain coming to Muhammad. Uh, So I'm taking the opportunity to have a quick chat with him uh, before he gets off to other things. Morning, Colin. Hello, Simon. Okay, Colin, now, you obviously uh, grew up in South Africa. You were born there, and you were in the South African Defence Force for a while. That's right. Yeah, we all had to do national service. So I was there for two years. Two years. Yeah. And was it in the Defence Force that you learnt to shoe horses? I learnt to shoe in the Defence Force, but um, as a schoolboy, I used to trim the neighbours' ponies and neighbours' donkeys, and that. I developed a very keen enthusiasm for horse shoeing when I was a tiny little kid when I first saw it happening. And um, I knew right from four years old I was going to be a farrier one day. Now that is the youngest because I've had people say at 10 or 11, but from four years old. Yeah, the thing with Simon, um, when, when I was a tiny little chap, before I started school, um, my uncle was a station commander at a place called Kachas Neck in Lesotho. And he was de- dead keen, him and his wife were dead keen on having a child. Anyway, my mum and dad, we were up there visiting, and my mum and dad said, oh, you want a child? to have Colin. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, Gotcha's uh, Neck is a place where there weren't too many vehicles. It was just basically a, a, a police station and um, a few houses. It was a bit of a border post there, I believe. And um, everybody used horses and donkeys as transport. The people there were Basutu, so it was actually called Basutu Land in those days. And um, outside the trading post there, there was a long hitching rail, and I picked up a shoe as a little kid. And I said to my uncle, look at this. And he said, oh, it's a mule shoe because you can see it's long and narrow. And this is how they put them on. And, um, you know, this is what a farrier does. And, you know, it intrigued me. And um, I never really lost that intrigue for them. So I knew right from a child I'd be a a, a farrier. And although my family, my dad was a, he worked at the university as a scientific instrument technician. And my mum worked in the aeronautics department in the Natal Museum. And my brother was also an electronics engineer, but I knew I was going to be a farrier right from the start. Okay, so how long a training did you get in the army? In the, in the army it was um, a very short while. It's, uh, you know, we were shoeing in a, probably in about six weeks, we were really nailing on. So um, everything was hot shot in those days as well, so if your trim was a little bit dodgy, you would... Um, Just burn it level? Uh, yeah, that was the corporal's job to burn it level and then we'd nail it on and then sort of by the end of the year we were shaping and hitting and burning it on and um, we carried on from there. From after, what was it, after about 10 months we were shipped out to different parts of the country and out of the country as well to the Ang- Angolan border where there were a lot of farrier space as well, shooting patrol Because it, Was it called the Angolan War? What was it called? Yeah, yeah, the border war. The border war. Yeah. South Africa... Um, had troops on the Namib- well, it was called Southwest Africa in those days, on the border between Southwest Africa and Angola. So that's a, it was a shorter border to to patrol. That's why they were sent up there. 
So you weren't just a farrier in the army, though. You used to go out on patrol. Did you no, ever come under fire? No, no, I never came under fire. We didn't go under, as farriers. We doesn't didn't sound like you missed the experience. Um, <laughs> it was um, it was nice. We used to have to shoot every Friday, you know, and um, do all the army things. And um, basic training was like any infantryman's training. Yeah. So. How, so you're in the army for two years, and then you left, and you set up in business. Or? Uh, no, I went to work for Tony and Andrew Tim, the Tim brothers, okay. and they were famous Natal farriers. So I, I joined them. Andrew had hopes of going across to America for six months, so <clears throat> they thought that if I stepped up to the plate and did Andrew's side of the of the business, um, Andrew would be able to sneak off. And it ended up with Andrew not really sneaking off. He carried on working and took the odd day off here and then went to Australia for, a, I think it was about three months, and I, I worked off and on for the Tims for many years, and then set up my own business sort of con in conjunction with them. Oh, I see, so you That's gradually, gradually built your own it, business yeah. up. Uh, so, now, you said you, was, you grew up in Natal? Yes, in Natal. Okay, so can you just tell people what part of South Africa Natal is? Is it north, um, northeast? No, it's more, it's north of Ca the Cape province, it's, and slightly north of the Eastern Cape as well. It's the area that incorporates Durban and goes up, oh, right okay. up to Mozambique. So okay. it's, east, it's the eastern part of the country. Uh, hilly though? Very hilly. It's a good, um, it's a good, very good area for, for sugarcane in the south of Natal and inland they, they have cattle. Well I was there in Durban last year and uh, I saw a lot of the sugarcane. Yeah. Everywhere actually sugarcane. Yes. And it's a sort of subtropical climate. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the south, in the south parts of the coast, the coast, they don't, they never have frost or anything like that. But um, yeah, but would you, I suppose subtropical would cover it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, then you developed as a farrier in South Africa, and I think you were in the first South African farriers team. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. I won the first uh, national competition there. Okay. Yeah. Who was the judge? Um, who was the judge? I was just tr trying to work out the credibility of this win, you know, Colin. Uh, oh, no, I stood up by miles, so anybody could have judged it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can't remember that, but you... And then you were in the first South African Farriers yeah. team that went yeah. to Calgary? I, oh, right, I didn't go to Calgary the first time. Okay. Uh, I had a visa problem. You're, amongst that group, there was me and Robbie, Robbie Miller, Scott Borland. I can't remember who the fourth one was for... For Calgary that year, I think it was was it Candace Brown? It might have been Candace. Oh, oh. it was Ian Pope. Sorry, Ian Pope. I, I could have oh, forget Ian. I hope, I hope <laughs> Ian will listen to this. Won't he? No, it was Ian. Yeah, the, the, the Ian Ian. Pope. <laughs> yeah. So you went off to Calgary. Yes. And that must have been quite an experience. It was an experience. Hey, it was. But um, my biggest eye opener was it wasn't Calgary. It was the first competition I ever did here, which was Woodbridge. When, um, you know, in Calgary, you see teams from all over the world and a lot of people don't finish their classes. A lot of people burn their stock and, and well, you can't really yeah. hand in one shoe. But here at Woodbridge, there were all these arbitrary people you've never seen or heard of making these absolutely beautiful shoes so fast. And that really stunned me. And how long ago are we talking about then? I came here in 2007. Um, the first South, Africa team, South African team went to Calgary in 2003. I went the second year that went there. So I think, I think people around the world don't realise the, the culture of farrier competitions here. Yeah. And, and so I can remember a very good American farrier competitor saying, 
Yeah, but it's like you have, at the same level as our national competition, you know, every weekend in England. And, and, and I should say Scotland and Wales as well. And so, especially this time of year in the summer, I mean, you can do sh three shoeing competitions in a week, can't you? If, if you yeah. want to bankrupt yourself. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that was the one interesting thing. The other thing was, yeah, um, how I hadn't been here long and we went off to the wagon on a Friday afternoon and I think there must have been probably 16 farriers in the wagon. And I looked around and you were pointing out to me, oh, that's a ferry, that one's a ferry, that one's a ferry, that meets so and so. And I thought, Grimms, there's more farriers in the wagon here than there is in an AGM in South Africa. So... And that's yeah. just Newmarket. I don't know how many farriers there are in total here. But, uh, you know, 60 number. odd farriers yeah. in, yeah, in about a square mile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite a concentration. And, and then, um, of course, I'd met you before you came. I took yeah. you in the wagon and horses for yeah. a pint. But um, uh, I came over to South Africa. It was my first trip there. And I met you there. We were in Pretoria. That's right, a, 2006. Must have been yeah. October 2006. You got, you've yeah. got a better memory for dates than me. I knew it was roughly around then. So 13 <coughs> years ago. And of course, uh, part of my secret mission while I was there giving a clinic and, and lecturing was to find a farrier to come back here and work for me. And you fell into the category, didn't you? Yeah, um, fell into the trap, eh? <laughs> well, well, you spent a long time. <laughs> got the diploma and then associate from being here. And, uh, yeah. just, just tell me, what grades did you get in the diploma? Two B pluses. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so you've said that quite well because I know it's it's annoyed you for years that yeah no, so close eh? but yeah. but I still think for somebody coming from outside the UK taking the diploma, uh, you did just the two week revision course at college, didn't you? Yeah. And you got two B pluses. That's yeah. pretty credible. Yeah. I'm not too thick. It must be the must be the old man's genes or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, you went on to do the associate, and I think you were the first uh, South African to pass the yeah, associate I believe examination. Yeah, South African. Yeah. So that's a couple of firsts in being in the team, taking yeah. exams. You're yeah. a pioneer, Colin. <laughs> I am, eh? Yeah. yeah. So that was great. But but when you came over here to work for me, there must have been something of a culture shock. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe even the shoeing or the lifestyle. Yeah, I was quite surprised that there were people here doing just four horses a day and making a good living from it. I mean, that's very, very different to South Africa. And also, um, just the, the way some of the farriers are here. There's a bloke here in town that cycles to work every day. His tool stayed work. Cycles to work, does four or five horses, and cycles home again. Well, we, I always had that saying, as you know, that Newmarket's the one place on earth that a farrier can earn a living on a bicycle. Yeah. And, of course, Smiler... Proves that every day, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, so then you worked for me for a number of years, and then you set your own business up here. Yeah. And you were pretty much you were shooting racehorses in the morning, and then going out and doing doing hacks. privates. Yeah, yeah all, all yeah. sorts really. Yeah, yeah. I did all sorts of work in the afternoon, hey? but um, I had on my books I had what it was must have been one hundred and ten racehorses, and then I had seventy hacks, and then. Um, the lure of Abu Dhabi called me off, so I went off to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, well, you're, I, I would say it's your wanderlust. That <laughs> Maybe you, that's that it. You can't it. sit still for, yeah. for very long. So you went off to Abu Dhabi, and for those of you who don't know, it's one of the Emirates. So there it is in the, uh, one of the Gulf states in, um, in the Middle East. So it's uh, a bit warm. Yeah, yeah, it was different. Um, something that was, 
that I, I'd never actually thought about until I got to Abu Dhabi, is that, you know, as a farrier, you're actually in a really good position, uh, especially as a freelance farrier. If you, if you go to a client who has a hack or a few horses, and you don't get along with the person or they, the environmental issue, there's an environmental issue, they stay in mud or mud. You can, next time they do, you can phone them and say, no, listen, I don't want to go there. Yeah. You don't have to work for people you don't like. Yeah. So farriers develop a, a clientele of people that like them and they like them back. So provided you answer your telephone, you go to the calls, you, you, sh- you should come out on top. I think I know where this might be leading. This, this was not the happiest experience for you, was it? it? It wasn't, hey? Working for people that you don't get on with. And it's just that you're getting your money at the end of the month. That was, that was a bit of a shock to me. It, it had never happened before. And, uh, yeah. You know, I'd taken it for granted. If you don't like somebody, you walk away and you pick up somebody else. Yeah. But I, I, I remember when I, when I um, needed you to come back, really, put right. it as bluntly as that, um, my brother Mark had retired and as uh, people thought we ran the business together, but of course you know, and I know that, he ran the business because I'm off doing all these things, not the least being podcasts and things like that. And then, so I phoned you up, I thought, I need Colin back here. And I'm thinking, how can I convince him to come back? And it must have taken all of 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have... <laughs> yeah. I could hear you packing your case. <laughs> it was at this point that I realised that, that, that you yeah. wanted to get away. Yeah. But, of course, it took a while because they were yeah. a little bit awkward, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, it was a nightmare escaping. Hid your passport <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, so you returned and we had um, a business partnership for three yeah. years, which I'd yeah. like to think was a happy and successful yeah, business partnership. You wouldn't be sitting here talking to yeah. me yes. if it wasn't. Yeah. And we actually had a lot of fun, didn't we? We, we made some money and had some fun. Yeah, and, um, and of course, by then, I was trying to cut down on my business. We, I was in the middle of doing my PhD. And so you ran the business, really. And uh, I just sort of joined in occasionally. But um, you had the use of the forge, and I mean, you're you're really quite happy, aren't you, forging as well and, and doing some... Yeah, yeah I like fiddling around, hey? Fixing yeah. things and bending bits of steel, converting good steel into scrap. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the other thing I always knew about you is you would never throw anything out, would you? If it was fixable, you yeah. would fix it. And as I always used to say, that's third world. Third world mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing was ever thrown in the yeah. bin. In fact, far from you never throwing something in the bin, of course, occasionally you'd come back to the forge with something that you'd picked up out of a skip and you said, you know, we can make some use out of this. <laughs> yeah, there was the angle grinder, a massive angle grinder, and I fiddled around with the thing. All it needed was a new plug. Pulled it out of a skip. <laughs> and I suppose, well... Yeah. If, if it's already supposedly broke, you can't break it anymore, yeah, can you? So, right. yeah. so, so you can fix it. And then, of course, um, you, uh, you know, we, we did the usual stuff. We did mainly racehorses. Uh, we did a little bit of, uh, as you say, hacks and ponies and leisure horses on the side. And uh, I even used to join in with that on occasions. I, yeah. I never wanted to shoot too many, but we used to... Uh, particularly do one livery yard on a Friday morning, didn't we? And that, yes. was, that, that was always fun. And, and, of course, we had a number of apprentices while you were here. Yeah, we did, yeah. So do you miss all that? Obviously, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. 
Yeah. Now I wanted I, I I wanted to just take us back to Abu Dhabi because of course talking of apprentices you didn't have apprentices but you had assistants didn't you? Yeah, we did. We did. And uh, they were mainly Pakistani origin. Um, from Rajasthan. Rajasthan. Yeah. Okay, North yeah. Indian. Yes. And they spoke Urdu, did they? Um, I think it's Urdu that they speak there. I couldn't really put my finger on it, eh? Well, now that, people might, <laughs> I might say that sort of thing yeah. and you'd understand it. But of course, what I didn't explain is, having grown up in South Africa, you actually speak fluent Afrikaans and Zulu, as well as having a bit of a shot at English every now and again. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could speak English better, hey? When I listen to people that speak really, really well, I really, really admire those blokes. But the fact <laughs> is, I mean, it's often said that once somebody's learned a, a couple of languages, then actually your brain changes and you pick up language as well. And I know that just coming back from Abu Dhabi, how, how you picked up a smattering of Arabic, but also Urdu, because we used to have some fun going in the local Indian restaurant. Yeah. And you were having a chat with them and, and, yes. and speaking to them. So, yeah. um, so, so that's good <coughs> as well. But, um, but we're going to get back to language in, in a short while. Yeah. So you... Came back here, you had three years in partnership um, up until I think February last year. And then the call of the Middle East, despite your previous experience. No, I actually wanted to go back to South Africa. That was my plan, to go back to South Africa. Yeah, that, actually yeah. I've forgotten, that is what yeah, you told me. That was my plan, I was going back to South Africa. And then a house sale fell through. And that was a bit of a shock because, you know, we we packed everything up, we put everything in boxes and then... There was a change of plan from the buyer's side. And in the meantime, um, Derek said to me, Derek Popart, he yeah. said, hey, before you go back to South Africa, just have a look at this job that's going up in the Middle East. And he's facilitated all that. And I went across there to Dubai. I thought, well, it's worth a shot, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how I ended up And so you've been Dubai. there... No, no, that, yeah. every year. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, how long are you back here for? Is it is your daughter's degree yeah. ceremony? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. That, um because of course you brought your wife or your wife and family followed you yes. over here and your two girls have been educated here yes and uh, um, it's always lovely to see them but they're they're quite anglicized in a way aren't they yeah they sound very english but i think <coughs> they they speak like english people when they're here and when they go back to south africa and they're with the friends and family they revert to yaw 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 and stuff back to south african well that's like it's like little kids from England that go up to Scotland. They they soon learn to pick up the Scottish accent. They, you know, you get beaten up in the school <laughs> playground <laughs> every day. You yeah, see, you soon yeah. pick it up again. All right. So the plan is, I think the plan is still to go back to Natal, isn't it? Because, Eventually, I will. Yeah. So, are you any nearer that plan? I, you know, I didn't think I'd stay in the Middle East for too long. But the the bloke I'm working for now is um, he's a real better one, but he's actually a decent person. Yeah. So, you know, he likes the way I work and likes the way I manage the staff there. So, because so, what I want to ask you is that yeah. every other South African farrier I know is plotting and planning to leave South Africa. You're plotting and planning to get back in. <laughs> but now, listen, my whole family got British passports now, and they yeah. stuck a get out of jail free card, isn't it? If I have to leave, I can. But um, I'm a South Africa, uh, you know, I was, I was homesick every day, basically, you know, in spite of having a good laugh here, you know, you always think of think of where you grew up, don't you? Home is home yeah. to everybody. And, you know, um, I think it was a Uruguayan vet I met here in the shoes who said to me, you know, where do you want to die? Everybody was born 
wherever they travel, they want to die where they come from, don't they? Yeah, well... So we always have a longing for it. And, you know, in South Africa, you don't want to die too, too soon, obviously. You don't want to go back. No. But uh, when, when the time is right, I mean, that's, you know, when your days are done. So tell us about what type of horses you're showing in Dubai. Just um, Arabs and Anglo-Arabs. they endurance horses. Oh, so um, all tiny little things, tiny little feet. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a different, slightly different style of shoeing from anything I've done before. We set the shoes really, really far under the toe give them lots of, width, lots of width out behind and they don't pull the shoes off. Um, you'd think they would when you look at you know, 10 mils sticking out behind and front, but they don't. And uh, do they have any particular problems that you've noticed that, that you know, from endurance? Those horses are really, really pushed hard, hey? Um, they have a lot of suspensory problems, a lot of splints. And you know, something that I think about the, is that, you know, the sounder we keep them, the harder the trainer pushes them. So something is going to break. Yeah. So with a lot of these horses, you hear of them winning one one race once. Not yeah, lucky they're like, they're like marathon human ru marathon yeah. runners, aren't they? Yeah. There's, all right. There's every now and again there's an exception. Yeah. But you see how quickly human marathon runners are, uh, are worn out. You know. Yes. It, it, it's pushing the body to its limits, and yeah. we're doing the same with the horses. So, no wonder they only have one or two good races in them. That's yeah, that's right. Eh? And um, you know, something Sergio said to me, well, he didn't say to me, I was listening to the podcast when Sergio was chatting about how um, in Spain you wouldn't say that handling is cruel, it's just not the same as it is here. And England is an aberration. We have people that actually love horses handling them. You go to the, to the stable yards, they all pet their horse, they all like them. And if they didn't like them, they'd go somewhere else. And um, it's got to be a bit of a calling, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, it's about the lowest wages there are in the UK. So why do people do it? Because they like horses. Yeah. Well, you go to, I work in two different African countries, two different Emirates, and um, the only place where I find horses aren't head shy, and um, they, um, horses are, are, are kinder to people, people are kinder to them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think England is an aberration. Other places in the world, people are hard on them, don't love them. Yeah. Jerk them about. You are aware that this podcast is an international podcast and you have just annoyed people all over the world. But No, that's yeah. fine because there's truth in it. Yeah, and they've got to yeah. go a long way to find you, haven't they? <laughs> I'd have moved by the time anyone knows. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the certainty <laughs> that is. Now, yeah. Colin, because uh, you're no longer a youngster, yeah. you've moved about the world. Yeah. So I think the deep philosophical question is, is definitely one for you. So what I'd like you to tell me is, what's the most important thing that you've learned in life? Well, I'm a very slow learner, hey? I'll... Yeah, we've had 50 oh. odd years, haven't we? <laughs> <you? laughs> yeah. Um, what's the most important lesson I've learned in life? Yeah. I don't know, I suppose. No, Simon, I don't have an answer. Well, you've learned all... nothing. I've learned nothing. I, I say this every new year, you know, another, another year older and none the wiser, hey? <laughs> <laughs> Colin, you're the first person I've had, I've, uh, yeah. this must be the 20th podcast I've done, you're the yes. first person that hasn't answered that question. Okay. I did have a record 45 second pause recently. <laughs> you know, the most important, you know, I think be kind to people, be, uh, answer honestly always, and be honest. Yeah. There we go, that's three things, so that's, yeah. that's good, you came a bit late with them, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did those. Um, Alright, well we said earlier that you... Uh, took both the diploma when you got here because you had to yes. to be registered um, but then you voluntarily went on to do the associate 
And of course, recently we've been to South Africa. Um, that's when I went to Durban uh, to to examine Farrier's both a diploma and an associate. Do you think there's a call in South Africa for more of that? Do you think there's a there's a place for that? Yeah, Simon, I was also back in South Africa. Um, when did I go there? In April. And I saw Robbie and a whole group of farriers there, and I stayed with Ian Pope. And um, the enthusiasm there for learning is, is huge. <clears throat> they travel for a huge distance to go and... Do you know, I, I've, noticed that, I, I've noticed that in lots of countries, but also in this country, that the more farriers are deprived of education, the more they desire it. In yeah. other words, the guys in this area and, and other areas in the central UK, yeah. they have it spoon-fed to them, don't they? They have That's an opportunity right. <clears throat> almost every week for continual um, uh, learning. But then when you have areas that, that don't get many, as many opportunities... The farriers there are far more enthusiastic, aren't they? Yeah, that is interesting. You know, um, your Forge magazine that comes out here? Yeah. You take one of those Forge magazines, drop it in South Africa, that'll get handed around, everybody will read it. And you'll see them some place, in some people's forges unopened. Yeah. yeah. This one, it used to happen. Not by me and you, but yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Some of the, there, was always a, there was always a fresh one to pick up. I always yes. knew yeah. I could have a nice clean one to go on my, yeah. on my shelf yeah. at home. So, how do you think Farriery will progress in South Africa? Can you see the big progression there? There has to be, hey, the world is getting smaller. Everyone, um, you know, a lot of farriers, I think, in the past became farriers because they weren't interested in study. The people that were hands-on liked horses, so they started chewing. Then, um, when people are forced to take exams, not really forced to take exams, but the opportunity to take an exam happens, so you know you have to study. I didn't know I could study, I'd never studied in my life. And when I did, uh, started preparing for the diploma, I found out, you know what, I can actually study. I can work, go over these things once or twice and it'll stay in my head. And, you know, once I found yeah. I could study, then it went on to other things. Well, I have to say, you, yeah. you do, um, you're, you're a very modest, Colin, because anybody that gets a B plus, a diploma in, in the knowledge part and goes on to do their associate has extremely high knowledge in any country in the world that would be considered high knowledge. Yeah, what my point was that um, there's people now that they see they can, there's people from South Africa see that they can do their diploma. they now inspired to study. And once they start studying, they see that they can. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've had that with apprentices <clears throat> who probably yeah. didn't take their schoolwork seriously for a single day. Yeah. And then, but they want to be a farrier and they yeah. get to college and suddenly they're having to learn about the bones and the hoops and they become a different person. They become... Yeah. Uh, this person who's almost obsessed with education, yes. and so, so it is a it, it's a great thing uh, to inspire young people. And and I have to be, I'm not being sexist, but it's usually boys. Yeah. The girls get their heads in the books and yeah, and study like anything, but the boys are are a different well, yes. almost a different species. Yeah. Now I um, usually have a bit of fun because I have a lot of these podcasts from overseas. And when I do, I ask the person I'm interviewing uh, to say something in their native language. Yeah. So saying it in English is not a lot of fun, not yeah. to me. Uh, we did Zulu with Robbie Dawson. Yeah. So what have we got? We've got Afrikaans and Urdu <laughs> left. And, and genuinely, you didn't know this was coming, did you? No. Yes. Right. So what I'd like you to do is, is ask somebody who speaks Urdu... Yeah. to shoe their horse, but ask in Afrikaans to shoe your horse. Yeah. And then answer in Urdu 
and say I haven't got time. All right. <laughs> so you've got to say, can you shoe my horse for me in yeah. Afrikaans? And then you've got to answer. Um, can you ask a brief for my my parents? I just answered. Mujhe vaknahi hai. See, now I haven't got a clue whether you've. you've I, mean, I, I know well enough. I know you, you well enough to know that that's yeah, actually. That's, right. that's true. Yeah, I okay. could have said, Mere pas vak nahi hai. And what was that? Uh, that's Urdu. I don't. With me, there isn't time. Okay. Yeah. And so you're using it again in. in yes, in yeah, but I, I'm a bit better with it now because my. Um, my tutors don't speak with a lisp, so it's... Um... Well, we, we could have... Yes, I, I didn't actually cover that story, but when you yeah. first learned it in Abu Dhabi, you didn't know, did you, that the guy had a speech defect? Yeah, yeah. So um, I arrived at, and I went and collected my hammer, buffer, tongs, knife, snips, rasp, clinches, pritchel, and Indian from the stores. And this little bloke um, couldn't speak English, wouldn't re speak English then. Um, so I thought the best thing I'd do is start to, to learn a little bit of Hindi or Urdu so I can communicate with them. So I got a clipboard and some bits of paper and pointed, well I first got somebody to, to tell me, how do I say, what is this, where is this, all the question words, what, where, how, when, and I wrote them down and <clears throat> uh, phonetically. And then every day I'd say to my assistant, what is this, yekia here, yekia, what's this, what's this, what's this, and I wrote it all down. Anyway, after about six months or so, I had a bit of a patter going with this bloke, and I said to him in Urdu, well, work's finished, time to go home. And one of the Indians listening cracked out with laughter, and he said, um, what have you just said? So I repeated myself. He said, has no one told you your little tutor has a speech impediment? So there I was learning Urdu with a lisp. <laughs> so, I, I, so. I would have to say, those of you that don't know Colin, if only you, Colin, could, could end up like that. Learn a whole new language <laughs> with a speech impediment. But anyway, but you've corrected it now. Yes, you? yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's brilliant. Look, um, Colin, it's been great speaking <clears throat> to you. I don't know if it's too early in the day for us to go off and have a pint. That's never too early. That's after 11, isn't it? All right. Well, well, it's 10 to 2. There you go, us. We're, we're later than normal then. All right, well, it's been brilliant speaking to you. Yeah, nice Thank to you very you. much. Thank Thanks yeah. for the podcast. All right, Simon. All right, come. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.